The reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. For each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sean, for reading. I don't know about you, but I instantly sympathise with the first group of workers in this parable. The ones who get hired at 6am, they work a full 12-hour day, then they get paid exactly the same amount as the workers hired at the 11th hour. I mean, what kind of employer behaves like this? It just doesn't seem fair, does it? And that is the key point as we come to think about this parable uh, this afternoon. The vineyard owner is quite unlike any normal human employer. We are meant to be shocked at the way he runs this vineyard. Because the vineyard is a picture of the kingdom of heaven and the vineyard owner is God. And the parable is a shocking reversal of the normal rules of employment. And it's, it's a shocking reversal also of how we naturally think about God and his kingdom and how we enter his kingdom. So the essential point about this vineyard to recognise is that it operates entirely on the principle of the generosity of the owner, not on how hard the labourers have worked. It's most commonly called the parable of the workers in the vineyard, but it might be better called the parable of the gracious vineyard 
owner, because that's where the focus is. And I think we see that in two ways in the parable, this gracious vineyard owner. The first way is the way he graciously calls the vineyard workers. And secondly, uh, the gracious gift of the owner to the workers. So let's have a think first about um, God's gracious call, and that comes in verses 1 to 7 of the, the passage. So we see the owner, he goes out early in the morning and he hires some workers for his vineyard. And he agrees a wage of a denarius with them, which was the standard daily labourer's wage at that time. Then he goes out at the third hour, that's about nine o'clock in the morning, agrees that they will be paid whatever is right, and then he does the same at midday and at three o'clock too. And by this stage, you're beginning to wonder whether it sh this parable should be called the parable of the careless employer. It, it looks like he can't get his employment rates right. And he keeps, somewhat chaotically, coming back to the marketplace to hire more workers. And he even does it at five o'clock in the afternoon. But if he was merely careless, he wouldn't be stopping at five o'clock in the afternoon to start engaging these workers in conversation about why they're there. He'd just be rushing them straight off to his vineyard in last-minute desperation to try and get the last hour's work done. But once he hears that they're only there because nobody else has hired them to work in their vineyards, he sends them straight off to work in his vineyard. And we then begin to see that he's been coming back to the marketplace all the way through the day because he's been driven by generous compassion. He wants to give much-needed work to people. He doesn't want those five o'clock workers to be going home to their families with nothing to feed them at the end of the day. So the picture is, is of this extraordinarily generous and compassionate vineyard owner. He keeps going out to find people to give vital work to in his vineyard. So you see the, the focus of is on more not on the needs uh, is more on the needs of the workers themselves, um, not whether the vineyard actually needs them or not. You sort of get the idea that actually there probably wasn't that much work for them to do, but he just wanted to go out and, and give them some work, whatever it was. And they're standing there in the marketplace waiting for the invitation. There's nothing more they can do. They're helpless, and it it paints a powerful picture. Think of God and his kingdom and the way it works. Because in a similar way, we think that we can choose for God whenever we like. But the Bible in general, and this parable in particular, I think tells us that it's God who sovereignly and graciously comes looking for us. Without his sovereign and gracious call, we wouldn't just be without pay, but that we would actually be without heaven itself. And this is a pretty humbling truth for us to hear. There is nothing special about us that recommends us to God. God doesn't actually need us to be doing the work of his vineyard. He's, he's not lonely. He doesn't need things, things to be done. He invites us to know him and his kingdom out of his sheer sovereign grace. For example, I, I have a friend who's been invited to a garden party at Buckingham Palace uh, this summer. I'm naturally very happy for him. 
I quite fancy the idea of going too, if, if I'm honest. But it would be ridiculous for me to try and pitch up uninvited at the last minute, have a really sort of awkward scene at the gates of kind of, don't you, surely, um, you, don't you know who I am? And uh, it must have, the invitation must have got lost in the post. No, we need to be invited. Same with God's heaven. He is the one who invites us. And all we need to do is answer the invitation. So if, you, if you're a Christian already here today, be thankful for God's sovereign and gracious invitation to you. And remember that it was God's call to call you to himself and he keeps you. But also, if you find yourself in a position of you haven't yet answered that invitation, perhaps ask yourself, what is keeping me from replying? Because it really is the best and most important invitation we're ever going to receive in life, even better than a Buckingham Palace garden party. It is everything. So God's gracious call. Secondly, verses 8 to 16, God's gracious gift. So verse 8, evening comes, it's the end of the working day in the vineyard, and the foreman is instructed to gather together all the workers to pay them. Now, <coughs> in our present day setting of London, where the, the norm is to be paid wages electronically into a bank account, every month, we've almost completely forgotten the, the immediate and physical experience of being paid in cash at the end of a day's work. I wonder if some of us can remember that experience. And I know it's very hard to believe that I'm old enough to have had that experience, but I, I am. My very first experience of being paid for work was in cash at the end of the day. And, um, and my first job at age 17 was actually working in a vineyard, uh, as it happens. It was a hop vineyard in Kent. And you should have in your mind uh, H.E. Bates, the darling buds of May, uh, that kind of England of the kind of 1950s. That's exactly uh, what it was like. Old tumbling down farm buildings, amazing looking old Kent uh, farmhouses. And I will never forget the feeling of uh, physical exhaustion at the end of the day, combined with this nervous anticipation of waiting to get paid. And we, we lined up every evening uh, to be paid, and the, the farmer would basically, um, he'd, he'd lift up the window at the end of his farmhouse, and that was where his office was and all his, his cash, and he would, he would give the money out, out of his window, we'd line up at the, line up at the window. And, it, uh, yes, it was 20, pa 20 pounds. I remember how much it was, 20 pounds for a, for a, for a day's labour. It was a tangible reward for a hard day's labour. And that's exactly, I think, how these, these workers who'd worked 12 hours in this parable would have been feeling, exhausted from their work, anxious to get their denarius, to get home to buy food for their families. So imagine the shock when instead of being first in that queue to get their pay, they're at the back of the queue, behind all those others who had worked progressively less than them. Feeling somewhat disgruntled by this, they then get another shock. The ones who only worked one hour from 5 till 6 p.m. receive one denarius for their work. I can't believe it. 
But then they console themselves and think, ah, well, things are looking up. Um, Verse 10, if those who've worked only an hour to get denarius uh, get that, then we're obviously going to get paid much more than that by the time we get to the front of the queue because we work 12 hours. But no, these 12-hour workers get paid a denarius as well. So, step forward, the shop steward of the National Union of Vine Workers in verse 12. It's not fair. You've made these one-hour workers equal to us. We've toiled away for 12 hours, including the hottest hours in the middle of the day. And the owner of the vineyard comes back with a really strong rebuke. Verse, the first part of it comes in verse 13. What you are getting is absolutely fair. I promised to pay you a denarius for your day's work, and that is what you're getting. The fact that these 12-hour workers are members of God's kingdom isn't in question here. In fact, it, it seems very likely that Jesus particularly has his own disciples in mind as he's telling this uh, telling this parable as examples of the 12-hour workers because at the end of chapter 19, just before he tells this parable, we've seen that the disciples themselves were thinking about God's kingdom in terms of hard work equals rewards. And Peter actually says to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What then will we have? I.e., look what work we've done for you. What special rewards are we going to get in return? And what the disciples need to realise is they come into God's kingdom on exactly the same basis as someone who's done much less for God in their life. They don't get into God's kingdom because they've done more for God. They get in purely because of God's grace. Now, I want to ask you, what do you actually, what do you really think of that? Do you still have a certain sympathy for those 12-hour workers? And if you do, why do you think that might be? In order to unearth our deepest motivations, God, as the vineyard owner, then asks a further two questions before we get to the end of uh, this parable, which have a kind of surgical-type precision to them, to get right to our hearts and our, our underlying motivations. So the verse, verse 15, the first one comes, and he asks the question, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? I think the issue here is, who is God? It is God who decides who enters his kingdom, not us. What possible right do we have to dictate to God who should be in and out of his kingdom? It sounds, and if it sounds preposterous to us that we would ever think like that, just consider how quickly we often presume to take the place of God in judging other people. So, for example, how often we're quick to say, what X did is unforgivable. Or, there's no way that so-and-so should ever be in heaven. Those are things that get said often. And we pronounce them from our imagined position of moral superiority. No, it's only God who decides who enters his kingdom. And then you get a second question from the vineyard owner that reveals that God is very much more generous than we are when it comes to forgiving people. So in verse 15 he says, Do you begrudge my generosity? See, it comes very naturally to us to, uh, to 
have an idea of heaven being for good people who have tried hard to do the right thing in life. And so much of life does depend on working hard to get a good result, but it doesn't apply in the economy of heaven. That's the great shock of this vineyard, is that even the 11th hour people who have hardly worked at all receive their reward and enter it. And the famous example of the thief on the cross springs to mind. You remember, he cries out to Jesus. At the very last minute, he's about to die on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Or, rather more recently, the example of Reggie Cray, the, the younger brother of the, Cray, the infamous Cray twins. And I remember his funeral taking place. It was in October 2000. It took place at St Matthew's Church in Bethnal Green, which was near to where I was living at the time. And the streets were rammed with people watching this incredible cortege for his funeral. There were six black horses pulling the coffin and 16 black funeral limousines that followed it. They were, they were amazing scenes. And the preacher at his funeral was a free church minister called Dr. Ken Stallard. And he got to know both of the Cray twins uh, in prison over the, over, the many, over the many previous years. And he'd gone in to visit them a lot. And in his funeral address, Ken Stallard revealed a hitherto unknown fact about Reggie. And that's that in his conversations with Reggie Cray over the last years of his life in prison, Reggie Cray had come to know God's unconditional forgiveness in Christ for everything that he'd done, and that he had prayed a prayer of repentance and faith in Christ for forgiveness. And he'd asked that that be kept a secret until his death so that he wouldn't be accused of trying to get out and get... Uh, um, and manipulate his parole boards with spurious claims of conversion, etc. Now, I wonder how you feel about Reggie Cray receiving God's forgiveness at the very 11th hour of his life, despite all the crimes that he committed and the suffering he had caused. Because if verse 16, God chooses to make the last in this life first in his kingdom, do we begrudge God's generosity? And for those of us who do, we desperately need to take to heart the amazing grace of God. God gives his forgiveness undeservedly to all of us, not according to how much we have done to please him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gracious call and we ask please help us to hear and to respond to your invitation. And we thank you also for your gracious gift of membership in your kingdom. Please help us to be thankful for that gift if we know it already. And if we don't, we ask, please help us to receive it in faith, 
in thankfulness and in humility. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.